Well, we love to do things that are a little bit out of the box at the Gate Church. And so as a part of our uh, series this morning, we're going to do something that's a little bit out of the box and a little bit exciting. Um, I'm going to uh, just introduce a group of people that are going to be bringing the word of the Lord to us this morning in a really, really unique way. Uh, One of those people you will be pretty familiar with. You're used to hearing him bring the word of the Lord, but he has an A-team of people that are going to assist him, and we are going to be really, really blessed. And so they're getting ready in just a minute uh, to join me on stage. Um, In fact, why don't they just go ahead and do that now, guys, if you want to come. I think you'll recognize this first preacher. He's a young, upstart preacher named Bishop Tony Miller. He's just getting his feet wet in the preaching calling. And so y'all, uh, y'all pray for Bishop, but we've got some real seasoned veterans to bring around him here today and uh, help him. But I want you to turn your attention to the screen and they're gonna put a verse up that we've been working from during this series that Bishop has been uh, calling Live Pentecost. And that verse is Acts chapter two and it says, and in the last days it shall come to pass says God that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams and we just using that one verse right there but you know you gate church people know that if you keep reading that passage long enough everybody gets included So if there's any ladies reading that verse, you just got to keep reading. The ladies get in there. The old ladies, the young ladies, the old men, the young men, everybody gets included. God says nobody's going to be left out from having my spirit poured out on them. Everybody's going to be in the prophesying business. Everybody's going to be in the dreaming business. Everybody's going to be in the seeing uh, visions business. Everybody's going to be in the barrier breaking business. Can you say amen to that? So here's the thing. Bishop and our team, we were praying and talking together, and we said, man, God spoke to us about live Pentecost. So why would we just preach about sons and daughters prophesying? Why don't we just live that? Why don't we just start finding ways to do what the text says rather than talk about what the text says? I'm preaching good already. And so I'm really excited because out of this passage this morning, we're going to hear from five sons and daughters of the Gate Church, and they're going to proclaim and prophesy and deliver the word of the Lord to you this morning. Are you ready to hear the word of the Lord? Now listen, I don't want these guys to be preaching to a bunch of wet blankets. I don't want them to have to raise the dead this morning when they start. I want them to come into a living body of people who are full of the Spirit of God, hungry to receive the anointing and be changed by the Word of God. This is the gate church. That means there's a gate to heaven open right now, and we're getting ready to receive. Are you ready? Amen. So Ashton Owens is going to come and begin bringing the Word of the Lord, and then you're going to hear from a whole team of people. Ashton, come bring the Word of the Lord to us. Hey, good morning, Gate Church. Uh, It is an incredible privilege uh, to be able to speak to you this morning. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Uh, In order to honor my time, I just want to jump right into it. Uh, We've heard Acts 2.17 this morning, um, and I want to go over what Acts 2.16 says real quick. It says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And so what's interesting about this passage is that we see Peter quote in Old Testament prophecy. But what's especially interesting is that he doesn't just quote the prophecy. He actually rephrases the first line of that prophecy. And he does so in order to bring it from an Old Testament context of waiting to be fulfilled into a New Testament context of current fulfillment. That this day, what was spoken of is fulfilled. That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And what he does 
is he chooses his words very, very carefully because the word he chooses for last days only occurs three times in the entire New Testament. That is the Greek word eschateus, and it means from now until the end of days. It's not a, this is the last day. It is, these are all of the last days. From now until the return of Christ and the consummation of new creation. This is that. But here's what's especially interesting about that word, eschateus. It means echo. From now until the end of time, this outpouring is going to echo throughout all of human history, throughout all of creation, throughout all of humanity, from generation to generation to generation to generation. The power of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to echo again and again and again and again until Christ returns. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is one that reverberates perpetually, forever and ever and ever. It's not just a moment in history, and it's certainly not just a date on a religious calendar. Pentecost is a heritage. It is a heritage passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. It's not a heritage of a Pentecostal denomination. It's not a heritage of a Pentecostal tradition. And it's certainly not a heritage of Pentecostal isms. It is a heritage of a new way of life in the Holy Spirit. A new life poured out on all of humanity. And it is passed down from generation to generation to generation as a heritage. Now, I'm from the South. I am from Southern Appalachia. And so we have a very unique culture and a very unique heritage. And it has been passed down from my great-grandmother to my uh, grandparents, to my parents, and to me. But there is a culture and a heritage that surpasses all cultures and all heritage. It sits higher, it runs deeper, and that is the heritage of Pentecost, the heritage of the Holy Spirit, the heritage of the Holy Ghost alive in you and me. And we see that come alive with the old men and the young men and their children. And when we lay hold of our heritage, the dreams of the old men become the visions of the young men. And the visions of the young men become the prophecies of their children. And that becomes the fulfillment of their children. So when my grandmother was crying out and interceding in the Holy Spirit that her children may walk in righteousness and holiness, she is handing down the heritage of Pentecost. When my grandfather's crying out, God, there has got to be more for my family than he is handing down the heritage of Pentecost. When my parents are laboring and travailing that their children may walk in righteousness and in the plans and the purposes of God, they're handing down the heritage to me. You see, Bishop gave my parents a word years ago, and he said, if you will place your children on the altar, they will burn. And now I get to lay hold of that heritage, and I get to say, I'm going to burn. I'm going to burn with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to burn with the heritage of Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit. I am going to burn. You see, I believe that this generation is going to usher in a move of the Spirit unlike anything that the earth has ever seen. But we can't do it on our own. We can only do it if we are standing on the shoulders of those who have come before us, and we can only do it if we lay hold of the heritage that has been passed down to us. Because it is not by my power, and it is not by my strength, but it is by His Spirit. And His kingdom come, and His will be done, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. That was awesome, Ashton. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. So when preparing for this, I really felt the Lord bring up something in my spirit that I've been um, just kind of thinking about for a while. Um, So these past few weeks, Bishop has emphasized that the Holy Spirit has come in his fullness and that we as spirit-filled believers are to receive him as such. So 
um, he also mentioned last week that um, Pentecost is not just an experience. This kind of brings me to the thought of a daily Pentecost. So most of the time as Pentecostals, we find it so easy to see the Holy Spirit as God. We consider him to be part of the Trinity and uh, believe in his power and his works. However, we also as Pentecostals find it easy to believe that having multiple glorified experiences with the Lord um, and with the Holy Spirit is enough to live a good Christian life. Um, So like Bishop said last week, Uh, Pentecost is not just a one-time experience, and the Holy Spirit is not just an experience. So he is a person. Pentecost is the ongoing involvement of the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It is the constant, everyday filling and overflow of his power and his personal giftings. So Acts 2, 3 says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. So the Holy Spirit sat upon each of them. The word sat being used here in the Greek means to set a point or to fix one's abode. So this carries the idea that the Holy Spirit permanently rested on them. So looking back at the Old Covenant, we can see that the Holy Spirit rested on God's people more as a nation, the nation of Israel. Um, But uh, there had never been any promise of an abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of any person in the Old Testament. So this is why David says something, and he says in Psalms 51:11, "Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me." But under the new covenant, what we are now currently living in in 2020, the Holy Spirit rests upon God's people as individuals. So. The tongues of fire sat upon each of them. So he poured out his spirit on all flesh so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be filled. He is with us as individuals. So Jesus said in John 14, 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So forever, as in eternity. So every day and forevermore, we can live out Pentecost because every day he is resting on us. So what does this mean for us today and right now? So it means that we no longer have to wait for a big worship experience to receive a breakthrough. We don't need to prove anything for him to love us. We don't have to prove anything for him to rest on us. We don't have to have tarried for hours. We don't have to have read super theological commentaries, have a theology degree. Um, We don't have to fight to receive the Holy Spirit because as soon as you received him, he made his permanent residence in you. So this is not complicated. We tend to overcomplicate it, uh, but it's simple. God is calling us and has been calling us back to simplicity. So this morning, I am here to declare that we are moving into this as a church and as a generation. We are coming to a place where we don't need fancy lights. We don't need um, amazing singers, expensive sound equipments, um, great facilities to experience the Lord's presence. We are coming back to the basics of Christianity where they didn't have a building and we don't need a building to be a good follower of Jesus. All we need is him and all we've ever needed is him. So the Holy Spirit's constant Pentecost power is dwelling within us. It is by our lives that we can engage the mission of the gospel to glorify God, to make his name known throughout the earth and to make disciples. So we can experience him and glorify him in Walmart, in Chick-fil-A, in Popeye's, in our offices, in our homes. Wherever we are, we can receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like they did on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost had a beginning, but it does not have an ending, and it does not have an expiration date. So God is calling us to live every day with the understanding that we are filled with his power in its fullness. You have everything you need to engage the calling that he has set before you and the path that he has set before you. Live in his fullness of Pentecost and abide with his spirit. So now to close out, I just want to invite you to ask God to give you a daily Pentecost. So ask him to help you become more aware of his daily presence, his daily voice, and his daily anointing. So let us ask God right now to help us see him in our daily lives. So Father, we declare that right now you are showing up in fresh and new ways, Lord. I thank you for your Holy Spirit power. I thank you for the daily Pentecost that we can experience every single day. We can be filled with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. Thank you, Morgan. That was beautiful. Wonderfully done. Um, this morning, as I've got to listen to, uh, you know, my brother and sister share this morning, you know, Ashton sharing about the, the importance of heritage, uh, you know, Morgan sharing about just the daily, the daily Pentecost. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful to see how 
uh, it really feels like the Holy Spirit is kind of uh, even already. I know we still have two more, a uh, couple people to share, but to see how he's knit our messages together. You know, speaking to each of us, like Morgan said, every day we can encounter the Holy Spirit, and every day he can speak to us. And honestly, going forward, we don't have a lot of, uh, we didn't share a lot of what we were doing. You know, it's kind of like, okay, we're just going to like all bring our thing. And so it's amazing to see how the Holy Spirit is able to speak to the whole church body. Am I right? That's right, yes. And so to see already this morning, as we've just all begun to share, that the Holy Spirit can just speak to each of us in unique ways. And so this morning, uh, uh, I have something to share that the Holy Spirit's dropped on my heart in my time of, in my time of preparation and prayer for, for this opportunity to share this morning. Um, there was a question the Holy Spirit posed to me. He just kept uh, bringing it forth to me over and over. It was a question I read in a book not too long ago. Um, and the question is this, that the Holy Spirit brought before me to put before all of us this morning. He said, what is the family business of the family of God? With this question, there are many things that might jump to your mind, the, the things that you might be uh, running through your mind, you know, uh, as, as followers and, uh, you know, people of, of God, you know, we're called to love the world, am I right? We're called to love everyone we encounter, this whole world. We are called to make disciples of the nations. We know that to be true. All of these things come to mind, and we know that all of these things are true, but there are three things that he spoke specifically to me. Uh, and the first thing that he mentioned to me was this. He said, reconciliation. You see, the whole work in the miracle of the cross was reconciliation. Yeah. On the cross, family business was taking place. You see, Jesus the Son went to God his Father, and you see Jesus reconciled that relationship for us, for man. He stood in that place so that we could go before God. Every day in the daily Pentecost, we can stand before God, and we can say, Holy Spirit, Spirit, come upon us. Without that act, without that family work taking place, we would not have the Spirit resting upon us. And so more than anything else, we see in this part of Scripture, we know that uh, we see Peter, you know, he's crying out to everyone in Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem are, are gathering in that time, and I'm going to rush through it, you know, quickly. But, and he's quoting, as Ashton mentioned, the prophet Joel in that part. And he says, at the very end of that, that proclamation, he says, cry out to God. All flesh cry out to the Lord and you will be saved. And he's telling these people who have seen Jesus, probably heard of his good works, heard of all the stuff that he's done. You know, uh, it's only 50 days after they've executed Jesus. So it's, you know, you probably heard like Jesus fed a whole bunch of people, all this stuff, but they haven't been transformed yet. That's the next thing that the Lord spoke to me was transformation has to take place. Once we reconcile our relationship to the Father, we have to be transformed by his spirit. Yeah. Every day we need to allow the Spirit to come into our life to transform us. Yeah. This morning in my time of prayer, I was reminded of, of such a sweet, sweet moment. And I almost get emotional uh, uh, thinking about it this morning. It's almost seven years ago to the date that I gave my life to the Lord. Almost seven years. It's about next week. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was out at TA. I was out of camp. You know, Pastor Josh baptized me in a lake. The, the dock collapsed. Everything. It was crazy. Some of you were there. And I'll never forget, my dad's in the crowd back here. And I called my dad and I said, Dad, I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah. I've experienced his love in a real way. And so every day we get to experience this love, this presence of God. And finally, quickly, the last thing that he spoke to me, and I'll wrap up with this, is he spoke the word proclamation. You see, first we reconcile our relationship to God the Father, and we allow Him to continue to transform our life. And I believe me, I have not been entirely transformed into the character of Christ yet. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But I can declare His goodness every day of the life, and I believe that each and every one of us in here that calls themselves a follower of God is able to proclaim His good work in the world. Because we have a mission in this world. And in this scripture we hear it doesn't matter about your age, doesn't matter about your ethnicity, anything. It's all, we are all on equal level playing ground before the Lord. And so today, I'm just looking for a few people to stand in agreement with me that the Gate Church is raising up sons and daughters that are going to be sent to the nations of this world, that are going to be calling out the reconcile relationships to God, that are going to call for transformation in their own lives, that are going to allow themselves to proclaim the good word. They will not be intimidated by the world because although we are in this world, we are not of this world. We stand on the rock of truth, that is Jesus, and we do not have to worry about the things that are coming against us. So today, 
I thank you all for standing in agreement, and we are going to continue to do this. And so, Father, I just pray your spirit of boldness over this house, God. I thank you that we are going forth in this time, God. We are going to proclaim your goodness. We are going to continue to be transformed. And, God, we just thank you for the work of the cross, for the reconciliation that we've been given, and all that you are doing in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Come on, I'm coming to share something with you that's kind of personal for me as I was praying. Um, God just told me, you, I, I've already told you what you need to share and just share from what you're personally, um, what I'm personally doing in you. So I'm just going to jump right in. At the beginning of the year, I felt like God gave me the word yield. And at first I was like, yield? Ugh. I don't, because yield to me, you know, it means slow down. You got to kind of put a pause on some things. And I wasn't, I wasn't really into that because I'm kind of a go-getter. I like to get things done, you know, keep, keep the ball rolling you know we got things we got to do but the more time that I spent with Jesus I tried to keep this word yield at the forefront of my mind and the more that I spent time with him he said Kylie I need you to yield to me so that I can release something in you See, there's a few different definitions of yield, and one of them is to produce or to provide. And so think about it. When you're driving down the road and you see the yield sign, you're getting on that interstate, and you, you start yielding, you're looking, you're producing or providing a way for that oncoming traffic to keep going. Because if you don't look, you might collide with something that you're not quite ready for. See, we're yielding. There's another, there's another way we can think about it. See, some plant, if a plant's yielding, if a plant is yielding, it's going to produce the fruit that it has been preparing. It's been in the process. We're going to produce something. I believe it's time for the church to start producing something. I believe we're at a place in, in, this, in the church, in our nation, in the world that we ain't never been before. And I believe today, you know, Bishop asked us to focus on that phrase, your sons and daughters shall. Your sons and daughters shall. So this morning, my word for you is your sons and daughters shall be released because you have yielded, you have went through the process, and now it's time for you to be released. And because we are released, now the Holy Spirit is about to be released on the nations, in the cities, in the broken homes. See, it says in Mark, let me, let me just give you some scripture to make it real. Mark 1a, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Joel 2, 28, I will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all of mankind. And then you, you translate it into Acts 2, and it says your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and daughters shall be released. And because we are released, now the spirit is released. And because the spirit is released, there will be hope released. There will be joy released. There's going to be some miracles released. There's going to be some revelation release there's going to be some wisdom release and so if you think you're ready I don't know if you're ready if you've yielded in this process I think it's time I don't know about you are y'all ready I'm ready I'm a daughter I'm the daughter of Jesus Christ and I am ready to be released into this world so if you agree with me come on we're going to release his spirit into the nations. we're going to release his spirit into this world we will be your sons and daughters shall be released That's, that's so good, so good. Your sons and daughters shall. Your sons and daughters shall. Um, I have the privilege of working with some of our youth and young adults here at the church, and I don't claim to you know, know everything there is to know about the next generation, but one thing I do know is they value authenticity. I believe the language of the young is authenticity. They crave what's real, and they're allergic to what's fake. So I, I think sometimes they struggle when they come on Sundays and they see us all polished and looking nice and, hey, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. You know, you know that's cool if you really are feeling that way, but if you're not and you're saying that, then they can see through that and they think it's fake and they can't relate. Right? So, you know, I think it's hard to relate to someone who is seems so polished when you feel like you don't have it all together. I believe it's hard to relate to someone who, you know, seems so sure about their faith when you're questioning yours. Can, can we be real? So I think it'd be good for us just to keep it real sometimes. Like, you weren't always that polished. Like, for real, you weren't always, I know you glow in the dark now, I'm gonna steal Bishop's uh, phrase. I know you glow in the dark now, but you know, you weren't always that holy. 
Like some of y'all, if we just get, keep it real for a second, if we had social media and Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter when y'all were younger, some of y'all be in trouble. I'm just gonna leave that right there. All right, I'm just gonna leave it right there. <laughs> Your sons and daughters shall. So the next word, then I'm a son of this house. So I've grown up here since I was four years old. I used to play hide and seek in the very pews that you're sitting in. Like I literally grew up at this church. And I can tell you one thing I wasn't doing whenever I was younger was prophesying. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll put it like this. Whenever I was a teenager, I had a lot of spirits, but the Holy Spirit wasn't one of them. All right. And some of y'all still ain't following. If you're not following, I was a heathen, okay? I was a heathen, all right? I'm just trying to keep it real. But that's why I can relate to this passage so much because, not so much because of what is being said, but because of who is saying it. It's Peter. Peter. And if you don't know who Peter is, Peter was a disciple of Jesus who was anything but polished. I mean, he, he said the wrong thing all the time. And, you know, he got in trouble all the time. But that's why I can relate to him. Because if God can use Peter, that means he can use me, and he can use you, and he can use this next generation. Amen? So before Peter, before the apostle Peter was preaching in the book of Acts, the fisherman Peter was denying Jesus in the book of John. And some of you are counting out this next generation because it seems like as a whole they're denying Jesus. But they could be denying Jesus today and preaching the gospel tomorrow if we let them, but we have to give them a chance. There's a lot of studies out there, and Bishop spoke about this last week, that say less and less people are identifying with Christianity. And that may seem like a bad thing on the surface, but I don't believe it is. Because although Christianity has grown over the past several decades, there's probably more lukewarm Christians today than there ever has been. He said this last week, uh, there's a lot of people who have a form of godliness but deny its power, as Paul said, Peter, as Paul said to uh, Timothy. But I believe there's a generation coming after us, and some of them are sitting right on this couch, and some of them are all in this congregation, that because of their authenticity, they're going to have an authentic relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I believe they're going to have less fans of Jesus and more true disciples of Jesus. I believe they're not going to be afraid to speak in tongues. I believe that they're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to be healed. I believe they're going to be prophesying and not prophet lying. I believe they're going to speak to dead things and they're going to rise. I believe they're going to worship passionately. I believe they're going to give generously. And if you believe that today, whether you're sitting in the pews I used to play hide and seek in, or if you're watching online today, why don't you stand up on your feet and give God a praise in advance for what he's going to do to the next generation. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. time. Would you let all these guys know what an incredible job? I want Pastor Joey to come get ready. We're going to declare a song, but I want to say a couple of things just before he does. You know, next week when we continue to open up more and more of our church, when we were doing some remodeling, my wife came to me and she said, I feel like I need to put a statement on the hallways that lead to our children's department. And I said, what is that? And she said, I think we need to write on the walls that we're saying yes to the next generation. We're saying yes to the next generation. Would you say that with me out loud? We're saying yes to the next generation. And that really is what I want to talk about for the next couple of minutes, because God has always identified himself generationally. He always identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
he said to Elisha, as I was with Elijah, I'm going to be with you. He said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Paul said to Timothy, the things that I've entrusted to you, I want you to entrust to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. Because God intended for things to be generational. Psalms 127, verse number 1, says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Then he said, Unless the Lord guard the city, the watchman stays up in vain. And those passages are often quoted without continuing to quote the entire psalm, which was written in context. Because he comes down a couple verses and he makes this statement. He said, children are a heritage of the Lord. And he said, they're like arrows in the quiver of a mighty man. Be sure that your quiver is full of them. And I thought, we often talking about God building the house, but we don't talk about children and the influence and the impact they have. And he's not just talking about little kids that run around and mess up your stuff in your house. He's talking about if you don't have another generation in your quiver, you're going to be in trouble. Do you realize today there are churches all across America that are closing their doors simply because they didn't say yes to the next generation? What they built, they built for them. They enjoyed it while they were here. But how many of you recognize that it won't be long and many of us that have been in certain places of having influence, we will have run our course. And there has to be other generations that are coming. And when he says they're like arrows in the hands of mighty men, how many of you know arrows were instruments of warfare? They were equipment for warfare. And actually they were long distance warfare. In the days when that psalm was written, most combat was done hand to hand with a sword up close. But the armies that had archery and had arrows oftentimes had greater victories because they were able to reach further than they could with hand-to-hand combat. And he's actually saying to the church, if you don't really have another generation, you're not going to be able to reach beyond yourself. But if you want to reach into areas you may never get to be up close with hand-to-hand, then you better put some arrows in your quiver. And the other thing about arrows is this. They didn't go to Walmart or Cabela's and buy them. They had to shape them. They had to be, branches had to be chosen, and then they had to be put in water, and then they had to be polished, and they had to be rubbed, and they had to be absorbed with oil, and they had to be then rubbed again, and they had to go through multiple stages of processing so that when they finally shot them, they would shoot straight. Is it possible that we have forgotten the process of making arrows? And maybe we're shooting people that their life is crooked, not because they were crooked, but because we failed to shape them. I'm declaring today a couple of things over the gate church. To say next to the, to, to to say yes to the next generation does not mean to say no to the present generation. When I became a father, my dad didn't die. I'm going to say that one more time. When I became a father, my dad didn't die. He became a grandfather. In other words, there became still other generations. Oftentimes, the last generation has a tendency to become an obstacle to the present revelation movement of the Spirit in a younger generation. And rather than embracing what it is that God's saying to them, it's easy for us sometimes to say, this is how we do it. This is how it ought to be done. I ain't got no help in the building. Psalms 145, verse number 4 says this, One generation shall praise your works to another. And one generation shall declare your mighty acts to another generation. How many of you know if one generation is not celebrating the next generation, we are out of order? We're out of order. 
I've been on my face before God saying, God, I want to make sure that we celebrate the generations that you've given to us in a proper way. Don't let me become myopic and only look at my generation. And the temptation is, this is historically true, the temptation is is that oftentimes congregations take on the characteristics of the person who leads it. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm in my 60s. I don't need everybody sitting in pews to be in their 60s. If you're under 60, you ought to have been shouting right then. Come on in. So in order to do that, how many of you know we have to be very intentional? How many of you know if you go to a restroom and they put a sign on the door that says out of order, what they're saying is what's behind that door is broken and don't work. And may I suggest to you when churches forget the generation coming after them, we need to put a sign on the front door and say out of order because something behind this door is broken and it's not working and it cannot provide the service it was meant to provide. I believe the gate church today is making a declaration in the heavenlies and making it on the earth that we will say yes to the next generation and that doesn't mean we're saying no to other generations. Somebody help me. To say yes to the next generation does not mean that they'll get what they need by osmosis. That they'll get it without generational input. There's a belief among some Christians, well, if I just, have, if I just bring my kids to church, they'll get it. If I just get them around the right people, they'll get it. Songo was a great testimony. He was raised in this house, played in these pews. And I found out something a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen. I don't inherit my faith. I have to choose it. My parents were Christians. That didn't make me a Christian. They don't automatically just get it. Do you realize that this is the first generation on the earth that does not need their parents or their elders for information? Never in history have we ever lived with a generation like this because they carry things like this right here. Be in a room and talk about something they don't know what you're talking about and immediately Google gets hit. They don't even take the time to ask you, what are you talking about? They look it up. Better yet, preach in an audience full of people and find the fact checkers. Oh, okay, that's the truth. Amen. Why? Because this is the first generation on earth that has not needed elders or older people to give them information. They can find it on their own. But let me tell you what they cannot find on Google. They cannot find context and interpretation. You may get information, but you don't get interpretation of that information until you find somebody who has lived and can give context to the truth that you've discovered. That means every church has got to be intentional to put the gospel in context so I can make it live in the time in which I live. Some people say, well, I, I don't like contemporary things. You know, I remember in the days when I was a teenager, people hated contemporary gospel music, which today would be very old-fashioned. They hated drums in church. Y'all, y'all don't remember those days. Praise the Lord. Some of us can remember the days there was church splits over people bringing drums. The world, the bar had come to the church of God. But the reality is, is that the word contemporary doesn't mean newfangled. Look it up in your dictionary. The word contemporary means something that existed at the same time as. When the history books are written, Lauren Calloway and Tony Miller, they will say they were contemporaries. They existed at the same time. Garnet Pike and Tony Miller, they were contemporaries. They existed at the same time. Why should we not have a church that's contemporary? Why should we not have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that exists at the same time for the culture in which we have been called to minister in? Why must we always say it's got to be a previous day or a previous glory? God's not trying to get us back to anything. He's trying to get us up to date with what His Holy Spirit is doing and saying. And in order for that to happen, ladies and gentlemen, we have to begin to talk to the next generation about a present day revelation and experience of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our day. 
There are three or four generations in this church. There are some families that are listening to me today that there are four generations of people that have attended this house. But can I share with you, while they've been in the same church, their experiences are not the same. Their value system is not the same. The way that they see the world is not the same. I go in and sit down and talk to my grandchildren. My oldest two is a, now getting to be a sophomore at OSU. And I listen to them talk about the world the way they see it. And I go, Jesus, help me. We watched the television this week, and people go, these kids are crazy. But the reality is they don't see the world the way I see it. They value different things than I value. That doesn't make all of it wrong. I believe it's terrible to burn buildings down and to hurt people. But there are people that, like Songo talked about, they would rather you be authentic and real than give some fake speech about some dream you said you had that you have no intention to walk towards. To say yes to the next generation is not the job of professionals. Thank God for the role of children's pastors and student ministry pastors and college pastors. But nobody should be more present in your child's development as a Christ follower than you are. Coaches and pastors and teachers should all be supplementing what you're trying to instill. We're shaping arrows. May I say boldly, it does take a village. The modern world wants to all the time put the emphasis on individualism. The Bible puts the emphasis on corporate life. When I grew up, if my dad wasn't in the back hall and I was cutting up, a deacon would have been. Maybe I better preach over here. And all Brother Marcus or Brother Johnson had to do was say, Tony, I came to attention. And my dad didn't catch him in the parking lot and tell him off for correcting me. because he was shaping an arrow. May I suggest that every young person in this building, every person that's younger than you are, what you say, what's young? What anybody younger than you? Anybody younger than you, you ought to be building a relationship with. There ought to be some 60-year-olds in this room that are building a relationship with some of these 20-year-olds that are on this platform today. And you ought to be doing it not as a parent. They have a parent. You don't have to be doing it as a pastor. They have a pastor. But you can be doing it as a Christ follower and a friend and a burden bearer and somebody who comes along besides them and says, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. When I was in some of the most difficult days of my life, wondering whether or not I was going to follow Jesus with all of my heart, It was not my pastor and it was not my dad who was a great friend to me who influenced me the most. I went and sat in a service and it was a little lady who called me over and said, come sit by me on the pew, son. And she sat down next to me and put her arm around me and she said, you don't know this, but I get up every morning at five o'clock in the morning and I call your name before God because I refuse hell an opportunity to steal your life. I'm not going to let you walk your life without walking with Jesus. And I began to weep because I realized that woman had never had a child. She was 70 years old and never had a child. But she took the children of that church before Jesus. And she said, I'm going to be a friend and I'm going to care for them. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed for a Peter or a John or a James that didn't live in your household? But you said, I'm going to say yes to another generation. We need people of the community of faith to say, I care about your life. And finally, to say yes to the next generation.
is to determine the value we place on our future. These arrows were fashioned for the day of battle. Not that they were in, but that they were going to experience. How many of you recognize there are future battles that people of faith will have to stand up in the middle of? And we're shaping those mighty warriors today. Do you know the sad thing about the present condition of our nation? Is that we got into such self-help, live your best life preaching over the last 20 years, that when our nation finally has experienced now a spiritual battle, we don't have arrows. We don't really have a generation of people that can stand up and battle because we were content to say, Jesus is here for you. You're not here for him. And the reality is, is that somebody's got to live this out in the earth. God is right. If the Holy Spirit is poured out in us so we can be released, so the Holy Spirit can then in turn be released, maybe we ought to get back to shaping arrows. I don't want my grandchildren to arrive at a world that I didn't prepare them for. When 70% of kids raised in church go to a secular college and lose their faith. 70 out of 100. Some of you can remember the old Sunday school days. Today you stand up and talk to an audience full of 20-somethings and say, you know who David and Goliath was? And they go, never heard of him. But all of a sudden they've been sitting on church pews dealing with a form of religion that has nothing to do with the contemporary world they live in and has no root system that goes back to the ancient world. So they believe everything that comes along in the kingdom is something that lasts for about five years because we've built fattish churches. And they walk into a classroom with some liberal, ideological professor. And the first thing he does is point at them and make fun of their religion. And tell them anybody that leans towards religion is already weak-minded. And before we end for Christmas break, they're already questioning everything their mom and dad ever told them. We've got to begin to shape arrows. We got to begin to shape young men and young women that we could drop them down in the most liberal campus of America and they could stand their ground, not watch, not as a political right or left issue, but as a born again, spirit empowered believer and say, I know in whom I have believed. I know what I am persuaded about and I know what my life is about because the gospel has been rooted in me and Jesus is the Lord of my life. That is about our future, ladies and gentlemen. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. Today we're getting ready to celebrate graduates. The Holy Spirit said to me, he said, I'm raising up a generation that will have a soul that's guided by conviction. And they'll have a voice that's ignited by courage. Hallelujah. They're going to know what they believe. And they're going to be bold enough to talk about it. Can I say something without everybody in here being in any way offended? We sort of lived our religion behind closed doors. We were sort of secret saints. Because we knew there was a few things you didn't talk about in public. You didn't talk about politics. You didn't talk about religion. So we lived as secret saints. That's not going to be true in this generation. 
they're not going to be obnoxious, but they're going to be very vocal. Because we live in a world where a generation of young people refuse to be suppressed in their voice. If you don't believe that, cut your television on when you get home. But we need people that know how to stand up and speak out of a place of conviction, not out of just a mob group of people who are running down the street. Am I making sense today? It's time for the gay church to say yes to the next generation. Here's what I want to say to every graduate today, every young person in this room. Here's my heart for you as a pastor of this house. First of all, you can do this. The world is not bigger than you are. You can do this. Second of all, you're not alone. In a generation that's very susceptible to loneliness, because of social media and technology, many of our present young people live lonely lives. Depression's at its highest rate ever. I want to say to you, you're not alone. I'm not just saying Jesus is with you. I'm saying to you, look around. There is a church full of people that are with you. You are not alone. Thirdly, I want to say to you, you belong here. You belong here. You say, well, I'm not even sure yet what I believe. That's okay. You can belong till you believe. That just went to the back wall. See, we used to have such technical details that we had to have people had to cross their T's and dot their I's before we'd ever let them be a part of who we are. And if you didn't clean up your act, you couldn't really come be a part of the family. But I want you to know today, I believe that the kingdom operates this way. You come be a part of the family, and we'll trust the Holy Spirit to dot the I's and cross the T's. You belong here. Fourth, I want you to know this. It's okay that you're not okay. It's okay that you don't have it all together. That's not an excuse for victimization nor for continual weakness. But all of us, I think as Songo shared, all of us have been processed. And if we're honest, we're still being processed. Have I got anybody in the room that's still in process? And the most important thing I can say to you today is you are loved. You're loved. You're loved. The songwriter said it this way. He said, when the worshipers arise, the sons and the daughters sing. And I believe the sons and daughters are starting to sing. Hallelujah. And I believe the moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads are shouting over the sons and daughters singing. You can never, don't miss this. I learned this as a spiritual father and as a natural father, but particularly as a spiritual father, you can never influence a generation you compete with. I'm going to try that one more time. You can never influence a generation you're competing with. And as long as you're fighting to stay first, you can never influence a generation that's coming and say yes to them. 